doing that for my brother Mike Daly. So uh, I've known Mike for uh, almost 18 years, not a long time. Uh, we had our ups and downs, our good and bad. I remember when I first came back to Sarasota, I was doing this blog and I'd started Mobile Preacher. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this, one of the first ones I wrote was called Saving Private Daily. Mike was in Iraq serving and uh, he was telling me what God had done in his life. And uh, I just wrote what an incredible encouragement that was to me. Well, Mike is back now. He's, he's part of our fellowship. <clears throat> and uh, he said, Pastor Joe, I want to be baptized. And I said, well, I can't think of a better way to do it than in front of God's people here at Grace Life. This is the first time we've done an adult baptism here. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you to kneel down. <clears throat> and so the scripture says that we can do baptism one of two ways. You know, actually, the scripture says we can do it any way we want. But the, the Westminster Confession says immersion is cool, but immersion isn't necessary when it's not available. And we don't have a, a dunk tank here. I've talked to Pam about it. She doesn't see how it fits into a comedy routine, but <clears throat> I could figure that out. But, Mike, I'm just going to ask you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes, I have. Then on the public profession of your faith, my brother, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love you. Love you, too. So as, as Mike... As Mike grabs a towel, uh, Heavenly Dad, we just want to thank you so much for saving our brother. He was a friend, but now he's a brother for eternity. Thank you for the very clear evidence of what you're doing in his life. Thank you that he was willing to encourage us as a church by following your command to be baptized in the name of your son. And I just pray that we as a church would come alongside of him and encourage him as he encourages us. We're so privileged he's a part of our family. In Jesus' name, amen. That's good stuff, ain't it? Good stuff. Um, like I said, I've known Mike for a long time. It's a pretty cool day. Pretty cool day. Um, today, we're continuing with our series in 2 Corinthians. And after a little, little, bit, little bit later, after the, Lord, after the sermon, we're going to do the Lord's Table today. So I just wanted to give you an update on that. But today we're talking about thriving in affliction, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Just a reminder, we've been going through this book of 2 Corinthians, and the two main things that Paul is trying to do is, one, defend his authority as an apostle, and the other thing he does is defend the authority of the gospel. And now he goes through and he explains affliction. And so let me just read it, and then I'll go to the historical aspect of it. Since we have... Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is, for your, it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light, momentary affliction. You mean like facing death in prison? Just to give you some perspective. As we look not to the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things 
that are seen are temporal or transient. The things that are unseen, those are eternal. Paul does an amazing job here of explaining what's going on when it comes to affliction. So let's look at the history of the passage. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want to make sure you understand there was nobody more qualified to talk about affliction than Paul. As a matter of fact, Paul had been an expert on both sides of it, being the afflictor when he was persecuting and killing Christians and being the afflicted when he was being persecuted for preaching the gospel. He was, as a matter of fact, an expert at both ends of affliction. And I was reading a, a commentary that John Piper wrote, and John Piper says there are two sources, basically, that Paul was facing in affliction at this moment when he wrote 2 Corinthians. The first one is he clearly had an ailing body. There's references in Scripture to the fact that he had some sort of physical ailment. He'd been praying that God would take it away, but God hadn't, he said, so nevertheless, God's strength is enough for me. Some think it might have been sort of chronic headaches or maybe uh, failing eyesight, but there was something ailing his body. And you think about it, it makes sense because Paul's life was very hard. When he traveled from church to church, it wasn't on a Greyhound or a personal Gulf Stream. It was on a donkey and they bounce around a lot. He probably had back problems. He walked a lot. He probably had some blisters and some issues with his ankles and his feet. I mean, his body is ailing because he's very busy and he is relentless for the gospel. Traveling the whole region, starting churches. Travel was immensely hard. The social pressure was the other side of his affliction. There were people who were Christians, who were Jewish, who wanted him. The Roman government didn't like him anymore. He had a lot of people gunning for him. Some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to discredit him. And so he was facing a lot of affliction. People hated Paul because he loved the gospel. So there are two sides of that he is struggling with. His body, he really means it. Though our outer self is wasting away every day, I can imagine how tired he must have felt. He must have felt worn down. You guys know what I'm talking about when you feel like, you know what, I've just been going and going. This was Paul's whole life until he died. First, he was relentless killing people for Jesus, and now he's relentless saving them for Jesus. No vacation. Does he go hang out on the shores of the Sea of Galilee for two or three weeks, recharging his batteries? He's relentless. His, his affliction was significant both physically and emotionally and socially because of what? His stand and belief in the gospel and because of his authority as an apostle. And think about this. The church of Corinth had been afflicted as well for the very same reasons, especially the ones in Corinth who had repented. And there was nobody more qualified to talk about affliction and how to thrive in it than Paul. And Paul references that affliction, that affliction in this chapter in many ways. And I want to talk about some of Paul's benefits of affliction. He, he talks about some benefits. And the first one is there's intimacy and community. Think about this. The Corinthians and Paul had been suffering the same affliction together. You know, nothing brings people closer when they go through a hardship together. And Paul and the Corinthians both personally knew and understood what it meant to be afflicted for the gospel. So when Paul said, we are afflicted every day, they knew, yep, yeah, that really rings true. 
I mean, Paul's got it bad and we've got it bad. The people don't like us in this town. So there was intimacy and community because of this common bond they had in suffering the same affliction together. And they had this because, you know, since they have the same spirit of faith, he says that we have the same spirit of faith. The affliction has made us love each other more because we have been afflicted for the same reason. And another benefit of the affliction was this fountain of grace he talks about. The more we face affliction, the more we appreciate grace. Am I right? I mean, it's harder to appreciate grace and redemption and support and forgiveness when things are on a roll. You just won the lottery. You just got a great job and you're dating or married to the perfect person. You never fight and your kids are awesome. They're in school. They got straight A's. They're athletes and they play the symphony at home. They're incredible. Things are rolling. It's harder to understand grace during those times than when it is when things are struggling. And then he says, it is all for your sake, so grace extends. What Paul means is, we go through this affliction so that we can extend grace to others. He says, the affliction, the struggle that I'm going through is worth it because we are taking the message of grace and redemption to those who need it. It is well worth what I'm going through. It's all for your sake. Paul says that his affliction is good for them. Isn't that the opposite of how we often think about affliction? Woe is me. Paul says, here's your gift. I'm suffering for you. And basically what he means by this grace extending to others because of affliction, it's an ocean word. He's, it's kind of a nautical word that he uses there. And it's an ocean word describing grace as, as an ocean, as tides. And really what he's describing here is that Affliction is kind of like the full moon for the tides of grace. Does that make sense? I mean, you know, when there's a full moon, the tides are stronger, right? And what Paul is saying is affliction is like a full moon for the t- I just thought of that right here without notes. <laughs> Write that down, someone. Put it. And then there's thankfulness. When you go through affliction... Here's what he says, as grace extends, may it increase thanksgiving. That's what he says. We do it for your sake so that grace can extend to others. And as grace extends, may it increase thankfulness or thanksgiving. In the midst of affliction, children of God become more thankful for grace than we would without it. For those of you that have been through a time in your life where where it brought you to the point that you knew you needed redemption, how thankful were you for when your eyes were open to grace and redemption through Christ. Without affliction, we're going to be less thankful for redemption and grace. Then the other benefit he talks about is this focus on the eternal. In verse 17 and 18, it's an incredible verse. For this light, momentary affliction, you know the thing about people trying to kill us? This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which we see and experience right now, they're temporal or transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This was real affliction. Not the kind we complain about on Facebook in our modern world. 
This was life and death. Now, let's look at the theological. What does God do? What does he do? How does he do it? Why? Talk about affliction being turned on its ear. See, God takes what is destructive and makes it constructive. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 12. Let me just read this. We are, here's what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Let me put it up there. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See what Paul does there in the earlier part of Corinthians? He says, look, here's what's going on. We are persecuted and all those things. I love what he does here. It's amazing. He says, we are this, but God makes it that. Like four or five different times. And there's another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And where is that comfort? It's in the grace of God. You know what that means? That affliction is a team thing. It's a team sport. We weren't designed to go through affliction alone. This is how God flips affliction. I love what he does. He just kind of flips it around, right? First of all, the resurrection power of God overshadows affliction. We see that in verse 14. I mean, he says, knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into your presence. The ability of God to save us out of darkness into light overshadows the effects of temporary affliction. You know what else, how how God flips affliction into constructive things instead of destructive? God's grace extends during affliction. In verse 15, we go through this so that grace may extend. I love Psalm 25, 16, 18. Turn to me, and this is David writing this. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. You see what he does here? He ties being rescued from affliction with forgiveness and redemption. I need grace. I am lonely and afflicted. My heart, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and forgive me. The best place to feel the power of grace is when the world is a tough place. And you know what else God does to flip affliction from destructive to construction, constructive? He gives the spirit of eyes for heaven. See, we're, lo- we're more likely to look to heaven when the world isn't clean and shiny, aren't we? I mean, when the world is clean and shiny, what are we looking at? Wow, that world is clean and shiny. But when the world gets a little rusty, the world gets a little rough, 
The storms come. It's those moments that enable us to stop staring at the, th- the temporary things around us. And it gives us more eyes for eternity and heaven. Nothing will give you a longing for a home more than when things are tough here. And in that respect, while it's hard, we can also be thankful for the fact that sometimes life is hard because it gives us more of a heavenly mindset. Our natural human instinct is to strive to make things perfect. Which brings me to the devotional part of this. I want to talk about thriving in affliction. 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10. But as servants of God, we show that we are sincere in everything we do by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Stop for a minute. That probably covers just about everything you've been through. Paul, you know what Paul's trying to do here? Don't think that your affliction is any different than any of ours. See, the human response is, man, if people only could walk a mile in my shoes. I mean, that, I mean that's our natural, me too. But Paul is saying, this is what we've all been through. We are sincere in everything and we endure. How do we endure? Verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, The Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, the gospel, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. He gives this image. We are at war with this afflicting world, but we endure it through purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truth and speech, the weapons of righteousness. We are armed with both hands as we go through affliction. We are armed with the tools of righteousness, the gospel, and the fellowship of our sufferings with each other. That's what he's saying. That's a powerful passage. So let's talk about just these fountains of grace during affliction. You know, I'm going to go back to verse 8 because I was going to skip that for time, but I think we've got to go back to it. Here he says, right, he's talking about weapons for the right hand and left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters, yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, yet we are well known. We are treated as dying, and yet behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Man, I'm glad I went back. (laughs) Isn't that good? He says, this is how we're received by the world, but this is what we really are in Christ. And he gives like eight examples. Can you see how Paul is teaching that God turns affliction on its ear? So let's talk about the fountains of grace. These are the things that God gives us as fountains of grace during affliction. First of all, God's word. We lean on it. He says, speaking the truth, that's the gospel. We know that one of the first things that gets us through affliction is the word of God, trusting and believing in the power of God's word to transform our hearts and lives, to save us. You know what else we have as a fountain of grace that's just bursting forth? It's God's people. 
I've shared with you our story and our family. We went through our tragedy, how God's people were so critical to us. We leaned on them emotionally, spiritually, financially. I mean, so many ways. We could have never gotten through what we did without God's people. And you know what else becomes a fountain of grace during affliction is God's purpose, which is kingdom advancement. Let me explain what I mean. When you understand that the light affliction is temporary and what's really important is what's eternal, what happens is you begin to realize, I don't have to be so distracted by this affliction. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's affecting me. Yes, it's costly. But in the end, I have a greater calling, a greater purpose. That is, I am a kingdom agent. My job is to advance the gospel so that what grace may extend. Kingdom advancement. This does not, church, mean kingdom comfort. And American churches are really good at kingdom comfort, aren't we? We are so good as as American churches as finding ways to distract ourselves from the affliction through temporary comfort, whether it be our programs or whatever it is we're doing. But what the scripture teaches us, Paul says, embrace your affliction together. Lean on the word, lean on one another, and lean on the fact that we have a higher purpose than just dealing with this life. So question, does this even seem possible to live like this? I'm a pastor. I don't have confidence that I can do this. So Joe, what's the point? Why are you telling us this? It's not about determination. Or discipline. It's not the result of some inner strength that you're able to beckon It's not your ability to really stay focused because you are a disciplined person. It's not some mythical mindset like this idea you just got to stay positive. You just got to stay positive. You know what staying positive is? That's pretending the affliction doesn't exist. What good does that do anyone? See, in my mind, and I don't want to harp on this too much, but positive thinking without understanding grace and redemption and the cost of that grace and redemption, positive thinking is a myth. It's a gimmick. It's a mind trick. It seeks to distract us from the reality of the affliction that is actually causing us to fall more in love with grace. And positive thinking without grace just ends in what? Bitterness, disappointment, guilt, failure. It is the opposite of thriving. Positive thinking is what we turn to when grace is absent in our lives. Which would you rather turn to, positive thinking or the grace from Christ? See, I would rather survive in affliction on grace and accept the realities that this life has its troubles and trauma. Because it's about grace. The ability to thrive in affliction is the result of the benefit of grace. When you thrive in affliction, you are receiving grace. It's an ability to tap into these grace fountains, His Word, His people, His purpose. It's an ability to tap into these grace fountains during affliction, and it is supernatural, it is superhuman, it is miraculous. It is a sign that God is at work in your life. Let me give a personal example. When we were going through our trouble and our, our pain and our hardship, 
our family. A friend of mine, a very close friend, asked me how I was doing in the aftermath of all that. And these words just came out of my mouth. I didn't, you know, I didn't write these down. It just, this is actually how I felt in my heart. I said, man, I am wounded. I am brokenhearted. I am saddened. But I can honestly say that I'm thriving. Listen, I can't explain that to you. All I know is my heart was drawn to Scripture. My heart was drawn to my brothers and sisters around me. And my heart was inspired by the resolute calling that God had given me to expand the kingdom even during our affliction. It was not my doing. It was His. That's what grace is. Undeserved, unwilling to accept it on my own favor. It wasn't because I kept some sort of positive mental attitude. It was because grace was overwhelming my suffering like a full moon tide. And I am confident. Guys, I'm going to tell you this. I am confident that I am a child of God. I know that God has saved me. I am confident that God resides in my heart and life, not because I am a pastor, but because of how he manifested his presence in my life during affliction. I know more, I have more confidence in my connection to Heavenly Dad after going through the hardest thing people can go through than I ever would had I not gone through it because I saw what God did for me through his fountains of grace. Because of how my spirit man, which was God birthed, responded with resilience and endurance. Even as my outward man was perishing, even as I lost a job during my grieving, even as I moved back to Sarasota with my family with no money, all my earthly plans for happiness and success were crumbling. We were thriving. Because God's word, God's people, and God's calling over our lives were an exploding fountain of grace for us at every turn. And it's miraculous every time it happens. I got some quotes for you. The first one is from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. I don't want you to read very many of his sermons because you become very dissatisfied with me. And I don't want that. Here's what he says. He's so good. The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. Isn't that good? Oh, did I say Spurgeon? No, that was me. I need to change that. That's so good. I got another one. Another guy who's uh, really good. His name is Matthew Henry. Here's what Matthew Henry says. If we have, through grace, an interest in him who is the fountain, the fountain of grace, remember that? We may rejoice in him when the streams of temporal mercies are dried up. That's taken directly from Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works a far more exceeding weight and glory. He says, when, if we have through grace an interest in him who is the fountain, we may rejoice in him when streams of temporal mercies are dried up. How good is that? And so it's perfectly fitting that as we turn to the Lord's table to celebrate it now, and Megan's going to come up and help me, as we go through the Lord's table, one of the things that Jesus says is, when you're doing this, you're remembering 
what? My sufferings. My afflictions. As Paul said, this is for your sake. Jesus said, I am about to die for your sake. So you guys will see that the, uh, the communion kits are there. You're going to serve yourselves today, and I'm going to lead you through it. And Jesus is about to face the ultimate affliction, right? When he celebrates this. He's about to be arrested and tried and, and beaten and then crucified. And he meets with his disciples for the last time. And he says, this is my body. This bread, it represents my body. It's about to be broken for you. Every time you get together, do this in remembrance of my affliction. Take and eat. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the affliction that Christ suffered through his body that we might have grace and mercy and tap into these fountains of grace during our affliction. After he had done the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood that I have shed for you. And he said, every time you drink it, remember my affliction. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, these are not magical elements. We don't do this so that we can have some sort of supernatural emotional feeling. We do this for this reason, to identify and fellowship with his affliction, recognizing the incredible grace that comes from it. Amen? And as you go through affliction in your life, you too can remember it is when the world is less shiny that I'm more able to look to eternity.